Well, howdy, Hootah Thunkers. This is the host of the Hootah Thunker podcast, Zeb, coming at you with episode number 132, Leaf Erickson Day. This week, um, well, let's get into the recommendation segment before we get into the main topic here. This week's recommendation segment ties directly into the main event, which is neat. This week, I recommend you host a party. Um, there are pros and cons to hosting a party, just as there are pros and cons to anything. Cons are, you're responsible for the location, whether it is your own home, a rented venue, or a neutral location. So you have to clean, decorate, provide some form of food, beverage, and or entertainment, or a combination of all three. If you are a guest at a party, you can simply leave when you want to, but when you host, you're expected to hang out and hang around. Pros of hosting a, of a party, though, you don't have to figure out transportation because you're already there. If it's your house, you're there. You don't, you don't got to figure out when you got to leave, when you got to come back, whatever. You get to enjoy that awesome feeling that all the enjoyment the guests are having was of your own doing. That's my main motivation for hosting parties. I love doing it. If you spill something on your outfit also, no worries. <laughs> you're already at home. Just go upstairs, change, good to go. <laughs> it's advanced make a new outfit. The reason I recommend you host a party this week is because Shannon, my very soon-to-be wife and I, are hosting our very first themed party at our own home. We had a housewarming party back in April, which was a blast after we bought our house, but this weekend we are hosting Leaf Erickson Day. Starting traditions is a joy for me, and so I set out to annually host two themed parties, Leaf Erickson Day in the early fall, and the Carball Cabaret in the spring. My last name's Carball, so the Carball Cabaret. Um, the cabaret meaning I look it up if to make it a cabaret, it has to be dinner and some form of entertainment dinner and a show. So I can do that. I can do Lee Erickson day. We'll get into what that is because that's the topic of the episode. And then carball cabaret dinner and a show. I will say that I am very well known extrovert that probably has something to do with why I love hosting parties so much. But if you are more of an introverted person, meaning you spend, you know, spending time with lots of people can feel exhausting for you, whether you enjoy it or not, it's, it, it takes energy out. I'm extrovert, so spending time with people gives me energy. Same thing with my grandma. I was talking the other day. She said, when people are over, I just feel so much buzzed up when they leave. Um, I'm so much more excited. Introverts, typically, when they spend time with people, they can still enjoy spending time with people. But it feels like, you know, they're, they're, they're exhausted at the end of it. If you're like that, then I suggest to host a smaller party. Shannon and I host small game night parties all the time where we just invite, you know, two to six people over to play some board games and catch up. It's a lot um, more manageable. Uh, you don't have to throw as much. And, and I feel like introverts would enjoy that more because it's only very specific people that you want to spend time with. And when you're playing board games and stuff, it takes a little bit of the pressure off. So try to host a party. Another part of this recommendation segment is an actual movie. Um, and I have another movie later on the episode I'm going to suggest. So a lot recommend a lot of stuff this week, but that all ties into the main event. Another recommendation is the 2007 movie uh, Pathfinder starring Carl Urban. If you don't know the name Carl Urban, you would know you would recommend the face. He's played Judge Dredd. He plays Billy Butcher in Amazon Prime's The Boys and uh, Jacob Holland in Netflix's The Sea Beasts animated movie, which I love. This is one of those movies that I strongly urge you not to listen to the critics. Rotten Tomatoes gave Pathfinder a 9%, which is bad. Yet, when I was younger, I would always argue over um, what we could watch as a family. And this movie is one of the only movies that my sister Cass and I could agree on. It's just that good. So th things you and your siblings like never can agree on, like who gets to control the remote, 
well, this is one thing that always got Cass and I to agree. Yeah, let's watch Pathfinder again. It's a badass movie. Here's the plot. A Viking boy nicknamed Ghost, played by Carl Urban, is adopted by the Wampanoag tribe after surviving a shipwreck, despite a legend that death and destruction will follow the boy wherever he travels. Over the course of a decade, the young Norseman grows into a fierce warrior and battles against rampaging Vikings who slaughter the tribes. He defends the woman he loves, Moon Blood Good, uh, by waging a one-man war against his countrymen and becomes the savior and defender of the Wampanoag people. This movie is loosely, very loosely, based on this episode's main event, uh, except in this movie, the Vikings are the baddies. They're the bad guys. Um, so yeah, it's awesome. Got some movie posters up. Check it out. Pathfinder. Now for the main event, Leif Erikson. Leif Erikson Day. Uh, before we talk about Leif, we're going to talk about his dad. Um, but here's the general overview. About 500 years before Christopher Columbus crossed the ocean blue, that's 1492 if you don't remember, uh, Eric the Red and Leif Erikson set out on the North Atlantic Ocean and started settlements in Greenland. Today, historians recognize these two Vikings as the badass adventurers that they are and that they were. Eric's son, Leif, went on to be the first European to reach the New World, a feat that was so difficult that he was seldom believed by his fellow man. Unlike Columbus, when the Vikings discovered Vinland, they knew it was an undiscovered land. They weren't deluded into thinking that they had reached Asia or East Indies. No, Eric and his son were from Norway. They were full-blown Vikings raised to believe in Odin, Thor, Loki, and all the Norse religion um, known as Asatro. So, way different from Columbus. Now, uh, just to look into the get you into the the Viking mood here, the Viking religion Asatro. That's one of the I've seen it written a couple of different ways. But anyway, Norse religion is a worship of North gods. The religion does not only involve the gods, but also the worship of giants and ancestors. Asatro is a relatively modern term, which became popular in the 19th century. The Vikings did not have a name for the religion that they were that they when they were encountered Christianity. So they didn't give a name to it. We did. We typically think of Vikings as brutal warriors. And while they did do their fair share of ass kicking, the Vikings were much better known as seafaring explorers and very good explorers, like very good. Their culture somehow cultivated this uh, amazing society built on both battle and exploring and, and, and raiding and, and going all over the world. So you didn't just have the skull crashing, vi cracking Vikings. Um, you also had dudes who just wanted to see what was out there. And I don't know. They're not just the... Uh, me drinking battle dudes that we typically think of. The Vikings traveled vast distances in their long ships. They were small wooden ships powered by sails and long man-powered oars. So whenever they didn't have wind, they did have um, their strong Viking backs just rowing away. Many have Viking, many brave Viking explorers ventured out to sea, never to be heard from again. Like that was most of them. But those lucky enough to discover new land and return to tell about it. Um, tell tales about it, would become legends. Today's episode is about two of those real legends. Well, more than just two, but mainly two. First, starting with Eric the Red. Around the year 950 AD, a Norwegian named Eric the Red was born. Eric the Red also goes by the name of Eric Thorvaldsson, Old Norse Eric Raud, and Icelandic Eric Raudi. <laughs> he was named Eric the Red at a young age for his bright red hair. When he was still a young boy, Eric and his family sailed to Iceland. So they're born in Norway, sailed to Iceland. Why? They had been exiled from their homeland of Norway 
uh, for charges of manslaughter. Eric's dad, Thorvald, had killed a man over a land dispute. And that'll be, be a pretty common story. Uh, part of the stories I tell today. Killed a guy, leaves. <laughs> so they set up shop in Iceland. But then Eric got into a scuffle in his early 30s with some of his fellow Icelanders and killed two of them. <laughs> he was again exiled. So he set sail west and went to another huge island, which he named Greenland. I wanted to say Eric the Reg discovered Greenland, but that isn't the case, um, though he was the first to stay in it for an extended period of time um, and make settlements there. First to settle in Greenland in 1985, Greenland was and still is mostly ice with very little green to be had. But Eric wanted to trick some people <laughs> into settling there with him, so he called it Greenland. I mean, you know, who would want to live in a land called It's So Cold Here That It Hurts All The Time Land? <laughs> Nobody. <laughs> but Greenland sounds kind of nice. <laughs> Leaving it. <laughs> and I feel like most people have heard that. I think I've heard that story since elementary school. Iceland's called Iceland, and Greenland's called Greenland, even though Iceland has way more green than Greenland. <laughs> They named it that way to basically trick people to live here, not there, stuff like that. Leaving in about uh, 982 AD from, here we go. Here's where a lot of Viking pronunciations come in. In 1982 AD from one of the one of the westernmost points of Iceland, Eric and a small group of men reached land on the opposite shore of Greenland, a land that had been skirted by the Norwegian Gunbjörn Ulfsson earlier in the 10th century. The party rounded the southern southern tip of Greenland and settled on an island at the uh, mouth of Eriksfjord, no, or now known as Fjord, <laughs> near uh, the, the area of Kvakkotok, formerly known as Julianhab. <laughs> so many different languages have tried to pronounce names of things. I think Norse. <laughs> it's my favorite. Gunbjörn. <laughs> anyway, from there, from there, they explored the west and north for two years, uh, bestowing place names everywhere, a form of establishing personal control. So Eric was just sailing around. He's like, look over there. I want to call it Ericland 1. <laughs> now look over there. I want to call it Ericland 2. I don't know why. <laughs> I gave Eric the Red an Austrian accent, like Arnold Schwarzenegger, but it's just what I'm picturing. He's <laughs> just standing on a ship, <laughs> angry scowl on his face. Over there, I want that. You want to call that Eric's Land 4. <laughs> anyway, but basically he did that because if you're naming things after you and things that, oh, who named this? It was Eric the Red. It's sort of known as Eric the Red's country now, and that's kind of how things work. Eric chose the inner area of Eriksfjord. <laughs> For his manor house, which he called Brathild, <laughs> Brathild and uh, which translates to steep slope. He named the country Greenland in the belief that a good name would attract settlers. <laughs> he returned to <laughs> Eric the Red's not a good guy in the story. He just has an interesting story and he's Leif Erikson's dad. So <laughs> he's not the good guy here. He's kind of an idiot and you know, a murderous idiot. <laughs> but he returned to ice. No, I shouldn't say idiot. He was a good adventurer, but. He returned to Iceland in 1986 AD and basically conned a bunch of his fellow Vikings into coming with him to his new home of Greenland. With these new settlers, he started a Viking colony in Greenland. Out of the 25 ships that sailed from Iceland, only 14 ships are believed to have landed safely at an area later known as Eistribigd. 
<laughs> which translates just to Eastern Settlement. So much easier to say, but so much less fun to say than Eastribigd. <laughs> Initially, these were 400 to 500 settlers in the colony, which never grew to more than 2,000 to 3,000 inhabitants. So Eric the Red's colony in Greenland eh, didn't grow very, very big. And Eric's colony uh, commemorated in Eric's saga, Raudi, uh, Eric the Red's saga, and Grenlandenga saga, <laughs> the saga of Greenlanders, maintained contacts with Europe until the mid-15th century, by which time it had gradually died out. So by the 15th century, you know, 1400s, the uh, Greenland colony, pretty much not even there, just like a little shack. But, you know, it happened. And because <laughs> because he was such a murderous uh, D-bag over in Iceland, first Norway, then Iceland, <laughs> he moves to Greenland and makes his own colony for a bit, and it works. So... Moving on to his son now, much cooler of a dude, had much better accomplishments. Leif Erikson, also known as Leif Erikson, spelled with a C, spelled with two S's. Leif the Lucky, or Leifir Erikson, uh, with like a couple extra R's in there for no reason. <laughs> a couple extra R's and I's, but everything's spelled a little bit differently. But Leif Erikson, um, it is spelled commonly L-E-I-F. E-R-I-K-S-O-N. You'll see it spelled with C's in a lot of places instead of K's. Um, but Norse typically use K's and not C's. So I use the K version, Erikson. Uh, Leif Erikson, he was, or Leif the Lucky, flourished from about 11th century. He was a Norse explorer, widely held to have been the first European to reach the shores of North America. The 13th and 14th century Icelandic accounts of his life show that he was a member of an early voyage to Eastern North America, although he may not have been the first to sight its coast. So that's an interesting story. People think of Leif Erikson, he was the first. Well, that's why I'm making a podcast of it. Let's clear up what we actually know, what we hear from the history sagas. While Leif's accomplishments as an explorer are mind-boggling, one of the other main reasons he is well-known today is because he converted. He did convert it to the world's largest religion, Christianity, um, now largest religion, and he spread its word. So Christians, they wrote a lot of stuff down. Uh, Vikings, not so much, but Christians did. And they're going to write about the one Viking who converted to Christianity and spread its word all throughout the world. So just want to give you an idea why Leif Erikson is also known. The second of the three sons of Eric the Red, the first colonizer of Greenland, uh, Leif sailed from Greenland to Norway shortly before uh, the year 1000 AD to serve among the retainers of the court of Olaf E. Tryggvason, who... Uh, converted him to Christianity and commissioned him to urge that religion upon the Greenland settlers. So, of course, Christians are going to talk about this a lot. But that's not the only source we get here. I mean, there's a couple of different... Well, that is the only source that, that wrote down the sagas here. And we'll get to that. Now, before I go any further, I'd like to address a question. I get a lot from those who listen to the podcast or at least have a similar fascination uh, with history. How the hell do we know all this? I love knowing how we know history you know what i mean which text did we find in in some egyptian tomb or which oral story and how long was it just an oral story until it was written down who wrote it down why what were the motivations all that so here we go especially since the vikings or norse people didn't write too much down on paper at all the most accurate accounts of their ways of life come from foreigners who spent time amongst them like ahmed ibn Fah fahadlan he's an arab poet who traveled north 
uh, to the Viking lands in the 10th century. Fun fact, another good Viking movie to watch, other than Pathfinder, is The 13th Warrior, starring Antonio Banderas. Yes, a, 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 a Latin, a Hispanic dude played a Arab guy in a Viking movie, Antonio Banderas. It's a great movie. The movie is based on two peculiar sources. One, nonfiction-based Ahmed, Ahmed Ibn Fahadad's description of the Vikings he encountered in the 10th century, and the other source being Beowulf. It's a fictional story, the oldest surviving story to have been written in English. So it's a cool movie, And but here's my whole point, is the most accurate portrayal of things written down as they were being witnessed. Like, the longer a story is just oral or just is passed down verbally, the more chances it's going to be filled with, you know, you know, the whisper down the lane type game. It's going to be filled with lies or exaggerations. But Abed Ibn Fahalad, he wrote down stuff as he was witnessing it. So they think that's the most accurate portrayal of Vikings that we have or text that we have of Vikings. But the Vikings did tell other stories. Um, so Ahmed, he never met Leif. He met other Vikings, not Leif and the Greenlanders. He met other people. Uh, but we do have sagas of the Greenlanders and their their travels to the New World. At their simplest, the Viking sagas are a body of literature that was mostly written by Icelanders in the 13th century. So hundreds of years after this stuff happened, a saga is an Old Norse word meaning a thing that is said. Basically, verbal stories told for hun literally hundreds of years before they're written down. In the 13th century, an unknown Icelandic scribe wrote the Viking sagas and described his people's pagan past, which when you're Christian, being a, having Viking ancestors, they're known as pagans. I'm not calling them pagans. They did, the Christians did. But this is how the story of Eric the Red and his son Leif Erikson are known today. They're sagas. They're Old Norse verbal stories later written down by historians who heard them from townsfolk or wherever. Um, so... Just thought you might find that interesting. From oral stories passed down generations until one day a scribe decided, hey, these are worth going into the history books. According to the Eric's Saga, Raudi, or the uh, Eric the Red Saga, while returning to Greenland in about the 1000 AD, Leif was blown off course and landed on North American continent where he observed forests with excellent building, timber, and grapes, which led him to call the new region Vinland, which translates to land of wine uh, or vines. And on his return to Greenland, his his he proselytized, basically he preached for Christianity and converted his mother, who built the first church in Greenland at uh, Bratahild, Eric the Red's estate. So that's from the Eric the Red saga. However, the the one that's considered a lot more accurate and a lot more entertaining is the Greenlandinga saga or the saga of Greenlanders <laughs> in in the air in the book uh Flatterjarbok the book of the flat islands <laughs> considered by many scholars to be more reliable in some aspects than Eric's saga Raudi Leif learned of the new land to the west from the Icelander Bjarni Hirschalsson <laughs> Bjarni, that's what we're going to call him, Bjarni, who had been storm-driven there en route to Greenland about 15 years earlier. Here's how Ben Thompson, over at thebadassoftheweek.com, one of my favorite blogs, here's how he describes that whole thing. Well, apparently some guy named Bjarni Hervartsen thought his thought this sounded just stellar and, and decided 
he should go visit his dad in Greenland. But as he was wake, making the 450-mile trip from Norway through the North Sea, he got blown off course and ended up finding some huge, uncharted, huge landmass covered with trees and sand and things. Realizing this wasn't the desolate, miserable wasteland that he was expecting to find, Greenland, Bjarni figured he'd made a wrong turn somewhere, and he cranked the e-brake on his longship, popped a U-turn, landed in Greenland, found his pops, and was basically like, I guess I found some other new land or whatever, but who cares because hooray for Greenland, right, folks? When Bjarni told his story to Eric the Red, Eric's son Leif was in the room and was pumped, like super pumped, out, pumped up out of his mind. Leif Erikson pretty much thought about this new world every day for like the next 15 years, dreaming about having the opportunity to win glory by discovering something important and then celebrating his in intrepidness by laying out on the beach, working on his tan. When he was finally old enough, Leif tracked down Bjarni Herfaljalsson, uh, had some coffee or whatever with him, and asked Bjarni to tell him everything about his voyage. Bjarni gave Leif a general idea of where this land was, and Leif was so on board with it that not only did he buy Bjarni's ship from him, he also went out and hired several members of Bjarni's old crew so they could help guide him. So that's good thinking on Leif's part. I mean, he didn't just do this foolheartedly. So finally, in the nice round-numbered year of 1000 AD, Leif Erikson uh, assembled a crew of three or 30 or so rowers and explorers, loaded them into Bjarni's old ship, dusted off his trusty compass, and prepared to be prepared for the adventure of a lifetime. Leif offer, offered to let his dad, Eric the Red, lead the expedition, but as Eric was riding out to the dockyards, he fell off his horse, horse and was like well yeah forget it i think i'm too old for this stuff anyways and so there you go leaf was leading it what followed was madness so anyway thank you for that ben thompson i'm gonna reference him again in this episode because he had a great episode on leaf which i didn't just read from but i took a couple bits of it what followed was madness though leaf took his long ship which could withstand the seas surrounding europe but was really designed to go up and down the rivers of europe and set out on the open ocean with it the North Atlantic, with no reference point whatsoever. And it wasn't like this was so smooth sailing. This is the Atlantic. It gets cold, windy, giant waves, and hellish storms is what lied ahead for Leif. But he went on anyway. He was going off the, wor the, off the story of an old fart from the village. It's nuts. And he just set off into a huge open ocean that only like one dude had ever seen the other side of. But he did make it. His fellow Greenland Vikings thought he was mad for attempting such exploration and dubbed him Leif the Lucky for not being swallowed by a mythical Norse sea monster across the ocean. When he made it back, they were astonished. But he set foot on what would later become Baffin Islands in Canada and became the first European to set foot in the Americas, something that wouldn't be duplicated for another 500 years. Uh, which is weird that they, someone is the first of something. But anyway, someone, <laughs> Christopher Columbus was then also called the first European, which was a lie. But anyway, he was the actual first, Leaf was, in the year 1000 AD. Cool, easy to remember. You don't need a little saying like, in 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. No, it's a thousand, the year a thousand. It's, it's when he did this. It's, it's... <laughs> Uh, I hate the Columbus thing. We'll get into that. He named the new areas according to their qualities. Uh, Helluland, land of flat rocks, which he didn't like, The uh, which we now think is the Frobisher Bay area in, in the north, or possibly Cape Chidney on the northern tip of Labrador. Uh, Leif 
didn't like the land of flat rocks too much. He spent very little time here and he continued south along the coast of what would much later be known as Canada. Then uh, that's when he discovered Markland, also known as land of forests, um, most likely the central coast of Labrador and farther south. Vinland, possibly the area surrounding the Gulf of St. St. Lawrence. Vinland is where Leaf found paradise. This is what he found. He was looking for an amazing spot. I'll read what Ben Thompson over at badassofthweek.com uh, had to say about it again because, you know, Ben, if you're reading this, I'm sorry using so much of your writing, but I just love your style. Leaf the Lucky had finally arrived in a place that was worth discovering. Green meadows, a lush maple forest, beaches, warm weather, deer, rabbits, rainbows, all kinds of other great things waited for him. If that wasn't enough... As his crew were exploring the land, a guy named Turkier, the German, wandered off through a forest and accidentally discovered a huge patch of wild grapevines. This was such a big deal that not only did Turker the German start being known as Turker Grapefinder, but Leif, in his typical Leif Erikson fashion, named the region Vinland, which, as you can possibly guess, means Vineland. It was so rad that Leif decided to stay there for the winter. He and his men built turf houses, a smithy, a lumber yard, a dock to fix their ships, and even a sauna to relax their tired rowing muscles. The Vikings uh, lost my sp lost my spot. The the Vikings picked a ton of grapes and made their own wine, which was crazy because they didn't have they didn't have. Uh, anyway, I'm quoting here, uh, which was huge for them because grapes don't grow in Scandinavia. And usually anytime the Vikings wanted a bottle of fine wine, they had to burn a Frankish monastery to the ground and pry it from the hands of a Catholic monk. Love that, Ben. <laughs> he wrote that perfectly. After spending the, the most pleasant winter of his life chilling in Vinland, Leif and his men sailed back to Greenland and told everyone what went down. They were welcomed home as heroes, but there was also some bad news. Eric the Red was dead, and now everyone was looking to Leif to lead them as Jarl of Greenland. It was a responsibility Leif couldn't refuse. He would never return to the New World again. I have a little quote from the saga of Eric the Red. Leif set sail when he was ready. He ran into prolonged difficulties at sea and finally came upon lands whose existence he had never suspected. There were fields of wild wheat growing there and vines, and among the trees were maples. So, pretty cool. Pretty simple uh, writing, but effective. Further expeditions to Vinland were later made by Leif siblings, Thorstein, <laughs> whom, weathered, whom weather forced to turn back before he reached Vinland, Thorvald, and Freydis, as well as uh, by the Icelander Thorfinn Karlsefni. So, Let's go into those because I never knew anything about Leif's siblings, but their stories are even crazier. Thor, I mean, Leif's setting out is the most bravest thing. It's crazy. Um, but what his siblings discovered might be a little bit more, more entertaining. Thorvald, Leif's brother, had one hell of a story from his adventure to Finland. Uh, unfortunately, he never got to tell it. But one of his crew did. Thorvald did make it to Vinland and even had enough resources to venture farther south, but Thorvald's party came across something that Leif's party did not. Indigenous people, Native Americans, refer back to my recommendation segment from this week and the movie Pathfinder where Vikings arrive and get their asses kicked by Native Americans, and you can see where this goes. Thorvald and his men called the Native Americans Skrellings, which is the Norse word for fairies, elves, and like all mythical woodland creature being things. So that's how the, that gives you an idea of what they saw the Native Americans as like terrifying. What it? What are these things? 
I actually love this detail because before we were calling them Indians or Native Americans, Vikings had dubbed them Skrellings, uh, basically um, fairies. Well, uh, when diplomacy didn't work and the Skellings were offended by all the Viking running around the land and quote-unquote discovering everything, they started whooping Viking ass. Thorvald's party got their asses handed to them. Thorvald himself got an arrow in the abdomen and the first European to die on North American soil, but not the last. Ha-ha, take that, redcoat bastards. I'm referring to the Revolutionary War. It's like 700 years later. But anyway, I digress. Thorvald's crew turned tail and ran on home to Greenland. So that didn't go so well, but they didn't stop there. First was Leif's brother Thorvald, who landed uh, first on Vinland and then possibly headed south to a second site. These early Viking explorers quickly realized, however, that the land that they just discovered were already inhabited by indigenous peoples. The Vikings didn't know what to call these tomahawk-slinging natives uh, with their war-painted faces. They called them Skrellings. These Skrellings decided that they weren't huge fans of having Viking raiders running around discovering everything. But that wasn't the end of the Viking voyages to Vinland. After Thorvald's crew returned with news that their captain had perished, a Norwegian Viking and trader by the name of uh, Thorfinn Karlsfeni married his widow. Uh, he then took on the dream of Thorvald and attempted to establish a settlement in Vinland, which I had no idea. How the hell is this not in my history books as a kid? I don't know. But he took about 100 Norse men and women and spent three winters living there uh, where Leif had previously created that smithy dock in his camp with the grass huts and the and the sauna. Thorfinn's wife, uh, Gudrid, uh, gave birth to his son, Snorri, while they were living in Vinland and would be the first European child born in the New World. How have I never heard this? Why is my public school history, why did it never go over this stuff? I do not know. <laughs> it's a mystery. Thorfinn, a trader and not particularly, uh, particular to the life of a warrior, tried to make peace with the Skrellings by trading things like milk and furs, and the Native Americans had or furs that the Native Americans had never seen before. But again, diplomacy was lost in the end. Thorfinn's people, they lived there for three years, three winters, only brought so many furs from Europe, and without establishing a reliable means of communications, uh, communication, the Skrellings took it as a sign of disrespect that they stopped trading. So think about it. They came from Scandinavia. They bring these Scandinavian furs that are not in the New World. They're only in Scandinavia. They only brought, let's say, 100 of them, just a random number I picked. After you've traded 100, the Native Americans, who can't communicate with them on all, are like, cool, can we have more of those furs? And the Vikings are like, don't know what you're saying, but we are out of furs no more. And the Native Americans were like, why? Why are you being d-bags to us you know it's mm, communication is key because without it mutually beneficial trade quickly turned into all-out battles within just a few years axe-wielding vikings went up against hardcore native americans and lost all because they couldn't communicate they didn't establish a, a, a language with such heavy losses and in, in manpower and little left of his settlement Thorfinn left vinland for good but he went back to greenland and told tales of his time in the new world and that's when a fourth and final expedition was launched from Vinland. By this time, the Skrellings had had enough. Vikings showed up to the Vinland and started harvesting grapes, and after only being on the continent for a few short days, were brutally attacked by the Native Americans. This party didn't fare well at all. They were greatly outnumbered, 
and not armed for such a well-executed attack. They'd heard about these Native Americans or these Skrellings. They didn't really see as people. They, they, they still saw them as fairies, as like these mythical beings to, to be feared. And they knew that there were some. They had no idea what they were in store for when they got attacked this time, though. While all the Viking men ran in terror, Leif Eriksson's sister, Freydis, who was leading this fourth and final expedition, Freydis Eriks' daughter, uh, turned and tried to rally the men. She was pregnant at the time in her third trimester when she said, Why do ye run, stout men as ye are, before these miserable wretches whom I thought ye would knock down like cattle? If I had weapons, methinks I could fight better than any of ye. <laughs> That's badass. I, and I do understand, I do uh, take note that Leif Eric's son was the son of Eric the Red, and Freydis Eric daughter was the daughter of Eric the Red. Pretty simple naming convention. <laughs> I like it. Anyway, Freydis, she said her badass thing like, you you pussy Vikings, like, give me one of your axes. I thought you'd be able to fight these. You, you suck. She... Her rally cry didn't work. The Viking men fled the battle all the same. But she didn't She didn't run. She didn't back down. She had the blood of Attic the Red in her veins. She grabbed the sword of a slain Viking at her feet, ripped open her shirt, gave a bone-rattling war cry, and slammed the sword to her chest, her bare chest, until the Skrellings had run away in fear. Again, she was like eight months pregnant. <laughs> so she's just like, ah! <laughs> and scared them all away. Pretty cool. Freydis's party, or Freydis's party, went on to harvest more grapes and then head home. Uh, but before that they were through, Freydis had killed five Viking women in a dispute over said grapes while pregnant. This family's nuts. I, like I said, not all these people are good people. Eric the Red, murderer, <laughs> con man, uh, Freydis, murderer, but all, but they're badass. I, I love it. It's a completely different culture as well. Hard to judge someone in a completely different culture. There were a few more Viking expeditions to Markland for timber. That's the the land of forest, uh, but none to Vinland, where the 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 the, the vines or the grapevines were. After Freydis's party, they did not want to try that. The New World was about just as far away as Norway for them. The main difference being that Norway was full of allies willing to trade, uh, whereas Vinland was full of unknown number of super hostile Skrellings that they still saw, like once again, as like wood elves that were magical and terrifying. Time passed, and soon the Greenland saga uh, was seen as a tale of fiction. They didn't go there anymore. They just said, well, if Norway's closer, about the same distance, and you know we don't get murdered when we go there, let's just keep going to Norway. Let's not go back there. And what was at once, the people who had actually seen it had all started dying off. It's no longer a tale of something that happened. It started to be seen as fiction by all of your Europe, even uh, you know, the old world, including most Nordic countries, had written Vinland off as nothing more than a story. They didn't think it was real. That was until in the 1960s, two Norwegian researchers, 1960s, as in, you know, like, uh, what was that, 50, 60 years ago, in the 1960s, two Norwegian researchers, Helga Ingstad, Ingstad and Anne Stein Ingstad, discovered and excavated the Viking base camp at Lands O Meadows uh, map in the northern tip of the Newfoundland the first confirmed Viking outpost in the Americas dated between 1989 and 1020 AD. The camp boasted three Viking halls, as well as an assortment of huts for weaving, ironworking, and ship repair. This shit happened. 
Leif Erikson, one of the greatest explorers of all time, was laughed at by his peers, and for nearly a millennia, his accomplishments were regarded as mere myths. But no, Leif did it. He had the balls to dream big and risk icy, icy, watery grave hundreds of miles away from his home to see his dream come true, and he did it. It is a shame that a man who knowingly sailed to the Americas to enslave, torture, and murder Native Americans to the point of genocide is celebrated with a national a nationally recognized holiday. Um, Christopher Columbus Day is what I'm referring to. Yet no one remembers Leif Erikson even existed. National Geographic, uh, her Becky Little writer, writes this. Christopher Columbus and his holiday are controversial today, largely because of the way he and subsequent European explorers and settlers treated Native Americans. For years, there have been campaigns to celebrate an Indigenous Peoples Day. But in the late 19th and 20th centuries, many people had a different problem with Columbus. They argued that the real credit for discovering North America should go to Erikson, who they believed arrived 500 years before Columbus. Plus, they favored Erikson because, unlike Columbus, he wasn't Italian or Catholic. The idea is that back in the 1800s and 1900s America... Uh, there was a lot more discrimination against Italian and Catholic people. Non-Catholics, mainly Protestant Americans, weren't weary about celebrating a, a holiday for an Italian Catholic as they were seen as lesser at the time. It's hard to believe nowadays <laughs> that Italians and Catholic discrimination um, was a thing because it's virtually unheard of now in American society. But back then it was a big deal. Uh, Going back to National Geographic here, direct quote, around the time of the centennial, a Roman Catholic organization called the Knights of Columbus, of which my dad and like all of his, all my uncles were in at some point or still are, and several Italian American groups began to lobby Congress to recognize Columbus Day. In 1907, the founder of Colorado's first Italian newspaper helped establish the first official Columbus Day in his state. And within a few years, 15 states had adopted the holiday. But the time it became a by the time it became a federal holiday in 1971, most states already recognized Columbus Day. Leif Erikson Day made its debut in the early 20th century too, but it never gained the same momentum. Though it's been a national holiday of observance since 1954, meaning the president issues a proclamation about it, but you know you don't get you don't get a day off of work for it. Many people don't even know about Leif Erikson Day. Columbus's victory over the Erikson is partly due to the early lobbying by Italian Americans. I'm not against Indigenous Peoples Day, but I don't really want to celebrate Columbus Day. Government workers get a day off work for Columbus Day, for Pete's sake. I feel like that's wrong. <laughs> so I thought at least I would do, uh, I, what I could do was throw a party each year in my little town in western Pennsylvania to honor the first, the real first European to reach the Americas, Leif Erikson Day, on October 9th each year. I hope you will celebrate it with me in some way, shape, or form. You can celebrate like SpongeBob and dress up as a Viking, or you can enjoy some Nor Norwegian food, uh, which, uh, you know, fish, cheese, and bread are the three main staples of Norwegian cuisine. Don't feel like that's a hard, those are pretty easy ingredients to make a good meal out of. So uh, we're going to make like all kind of stuff, seafood, chowder, make it a potluck. People are going to show up and go, hinga, derga, ferga. <laughs> so it's going to be a fun time. Happy Lee Ferrickson Day. Thanks for listening, Huda Thunkers. I know it was a long one. And catch you next week. Thank you.